we're going to kick off with, who are we kicking off with? Oh, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mikey. Um, why don't you welcome Mikey to the platform? Like, come on. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Hebrews does not list Amos as a major hero. In fact, I don't think he normally makes people's lists. Doesn't really have the whole miracle thing going on. Doesn't really win that many battles, let alone wars. Kind of wasn't a soldier or anything like that. But his origin story is that of a shepherd. So he's like right up there in the Bible. You know, that's the way they do it. Amos has three key points that he wanted people to know. All he really did was stand around, kind of like I'm doing, and talked very loudly to a lot of people. I think he's a hero because people really didn't want to hear what he had to say. Because what he said meant that they couldn't be rich anymore. It meant that they couldn't hold their wealth, and it meant they couldn't keep treating people the way they did and still say they loved God. Amos basically has three key points. Firstly, that people would miss the righteousness of God. They'd lost it over time. They'd stop following him. And not only did they lost the righteousness because of that, They'd lost the ability to see the justice of God. They weren't living his righteousness and his justice. His second key point is that the sign that they'd failed these things was that ultimately the rich were mistreating the poor. People were putting money above poor people's welfare. And that just wasn't okay in the kingdom of God. That's not okay for the people of God to do. And he says, finally, his third point is that because of this, Israel's worship, their, their pilgrimages weren't up to scratch. You know, they've missed the point entirely. It's great that they've gone on a pilgrimage really far away to Bethel, but their hearts weren't in the right place. They weren't being transformed by that pilgrimage, by that worship that they were doing. And Amos sees this as a big problem. And you know, it's, it's great to read in the Bible of people standing up and saying what matters. Because, you know, Israel really were mistreating the poor. They had this cycle of debt slavery going. I don't know if you've heard of debt slavery. The idea is that if you get into debt... Rather than paying it off, you can just become someone's slave for a while. And it wasn't the kind of slavery that went on in America in the last 800 years. But it was still slavery. It wasn't great. You know, you still didn't have any free will. You still didn't have any rights. But in the Roman Empire, you had to treat a slave a certain way. You had to feed them. And it probably still wasn't great. But it could have been worse. The Israelites had forgotten all of this. They hadn't just been putting people into debt slavery they got locked there they got in cycles of economic oppression and this isn't just a problem that happened in king jeroboam's time it probably happens still i don't know if you like what i'm wearing but it was probably made by people in some form of slavery whether that was just being in a sweatshop or actually being chained up i don't know and uh, it's probably not okay see ultimately amos's message was against the people who said they knew the heart of god and their actions prove differently. And that's not a message that you really want to give to people because they don't want to hear that. It's really easy to say, hey, God loves you. It's not so easy to say you need to transform your life to keep worshipping him and to, to keep up with it. It wasn't that Amos was saying their worship was wrong. He said, actually, what's the point of your worship if you're still going to live such flawed lives, such failed lives? If you've lost the righteousness of God, then what are you worshipping? If you've misunderstood his justice, well, what's the, what's the point? What are, you, what are you doing? You know? It was that simple. And often Amos can seem really judgmental. I mean, if you read the stuff that he says is going to happen to Israel, it feels remarkably like the French Revolution. There's like dragging people along with meat hooks. It's quite grim, very gruesome. I'm hoping that's not going to happen. Has done before, but hoping not. But Amos's real point was what's the point of your faith? Where do you think this goes? Like, 
Do you think this is just about you going on pilgrimage or do you think this is about your day-to-day life? How you choose to do your actions, how you choose to live? Amos was ultimately a hero because he wasn't saying, you're terrible, whoever you are in the room. He was saying, you could do so much better. You could be so much more than this and yet you're failing. You're treating people like they're nothing. You don't need someone to tell you not to treat people like junk. You should be able to figure that one out. You know, if God loves you, why aren't you loving God's people? It's Jesus' golden rule. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and treat others as you wish to be treated. Love others as you want to be loved. You know, we get that. It's simple. We don't need to be told the basics of loving people. And yet Israel forgot it. Don't know why. And I wonder who the next hero like Amos will be. Because God sent prophets throughout history. They kept coming back, they kept coming for more. And if you're in certain circles of the church, you still think that people are sending prophets. Others, less so much. I'll let you decide what you think. Don't really care. <laughs> but ultimately, like, who's going to be the next person to stand up and say, hey, the way that people are being treated in the Far East making clothes isn't good enough? Who's going to stand up and say, Amazon's workshops, not so great? Who's going to say the kind of way that we're treating people is not acceptable in this country, in this kingdom that we're trying to build? But unlike most people who say that, because lots of people will tell you about the problems with your clothing, your makeup, your Amazon deliveries, I don't care. Lots of people say that. But Amos wasn't doing this because he felt he should, or he felt like it was a good idea. He felt called by God. His message wasn't just, this is unfair. It was saying, this is unfair, and you've misunderstood the faith that you have. And I wonder where that falls for us. Because I know that myself, I don't think for every single one of my actions, I can't, you know? I'm a human, I get a lot of things wrong, and that's why Jesus came and gave us mercy. Living under the law like the Jews did was a challenge, (laughs) and it's definitely one that I'd fail at. It's not just because I like bacon. It's just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But ultimately, where do we draw this line, this mythical line of, I understand my responsibilities here, and I don't understand my responsibilities here. This is too much for me to think through, and I need God's grace here. And actually, I can make some smarter decisions in my life here. I don't have those answers, but I know that Amos would say that if you're intentionally putting people in harm, you've, you've done that. And in the globalized world we live in, we often don't see the harm that we're causing. But ultimately, sometimes we have to think it through. I don't know who the next hero like Amos will be, but I imagine there'll be one somewhere. Cool. I think we're good. Thank you, Michael. Brilliant. Certainly very challenging. Yeah, very challenging. I don't know where my clothes are from. (laughs) Very good. Excellent. Thank you so much, mate. Um, Brilliant. You don't hear a lot about Amos, do you? I can't remember ever hearing a sermon preached about Amos. You know, he's, he's a challenging guy, isn't he? But it's good. Um, moving right along, we're going to hear from Joe next, aren't we? So why don't you come and give... Thank you very much. Yeah, Michael, that was great. That was um, definitely very challenging. <laughs> so I am kind of going to go right back to Genesis and speak about Abraham and Sarah. I think it's a really interesting story because from the day that Abraham is called by God, he is incredibly faithful. He follows him um, where God guides him, and he does everything that God asks him to do. So to begin with, he was first called when he was 75. So for those of you out there who think maybe I'm too old for something, or I'm too young for something, or whatever, it doesn't matter. God is calling you 
whatever age you are and whatever walk of life you've come from. Um, so Abraham was asked, or Abraham at the time, because his name hadn't been given by God yet, but he was asked to leave the place that they were at from Hanan and just start walking. And God said, you'll know when you get to the place. So they walk through Canaan and they end up in Egypt. Now, God then gives multiple words to Abraham saying, well, firstly, he changes his name and, and calls him Abraham, which means father of nations. Now, as a man of 75 or probably about 80 at this point, he's probably thinking, I don't know how that's going to work. My wife's pretty old. Not sure it's actually physically possible. But God says, you will be father of nations. So keep following me. Keep trusting me. Keep going in the direction that I'm calling you and going, and I will make you father of nations. Now, Abraham follows everything that the Lord says. Sarah, on the other hand, is a little bit more sceptical. Um, there's you know, multiple passages where she kind of talks about the fact that she's too old and she's too worn out and that you know, how can she get pregnant? She is past the age of pregnancy. And then there's this really key verse which I then want to kind of focus on. So it's where the son is promised to Abraham. So it says, uh, The Lord appeared to Abraham at the sacred trees of Mamre, as Abraham was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the hottest part of the day, he looked up and saw three men standing there. As soon as he saw them, he ran out to meet them. Bowing down with his face touching the ground, he said, Sirs, please do not pass by my home without stopping. I am here to serve you. Let me bring some water for you to wash your feet. You can rest here beneath this tree. I will also bring a bit of food. It will give you strength to continue your journey. You have honoured me by coming to my home, so let me serve you. They replied, thank you, we accept. Abraham hurried to the tent and said to Sarah, quick, take a sack of your best flour and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and picked out a calf that was tender and fat and gave it to a servant who hurried to get it ready. He took some cream, some milk and the meat and set the food before the men. There under the tree, he served them himself and they ate. Then they asked him, where is your wife, Sarah? She is in the tent, he answered. One of them said, nine months from now, I will come back and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, Sarah was behind him at the door of the tent listening. Abraham and Sarah were very old and Sarah had stopped having her monthly periods. So Sarah laughed to herself and said, now that I'm old and worn out, can I still enjoy sex? And besides, my husband is too old. Then the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, can I really have a child when I'm so old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? As I said, nine months from now, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Because Sarah was afraid, she denied it. I didn't laugh, she said. Yes, you did, he replied. You laughed. Now, I think what's you know, obvious about this story is that if any of us were in the same situation, we would laugh. You know, if I'm an 80-year-old woman and someone gives me a word of knowledge that I'm going to have a baby, I'll be like, not really sure that's actually possible, but all right, whatever. But Abraham is so faithful to God. He knows that he's old, but he still believes that the name that he's been given, the father of nations, will come true, that that prophecy will come true. Sarah, on the other hand, is really struggling to accept it, and she mocks it, and she, she mocks what the Lord has promised. And kind of what has been on my heart this week is, is really thinking about the fact that whatever God promises you, it will happen. God's promises will never fail. We sing about that all the time. But I think it's when the head to the heart part of us goes, yeah, but that's not physically possible. How can he get me this job that I really need? How can I have a baby when I'm told I'm barren? How can 
all of these different things in our lives that we think are impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. And I think what we really need to focus on, and the story of Abraham and Sarah is so important, because she ends up having a son called Isaac, which means he laughs, which I think is a really funny kind of a bit tongue-in-cheek joke from God, because, you know, he's got a bit of a sense of humour. You know. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, and I just really think that, you know, often we're so blinded by earthly things where we go, God, I really need your grace or I really need your help in this situation. But how? How will you do it? And actually what we need to do is just go, God, guide me, show me where to go, and I know that your promises will prevail. And, yeah, I just want to kind of speak that over everybody now and just you know particularly if there's anyone really struggling with you know any situation that they feel that God hasn't met them in that promise his perfect timing will happen and those promises happen in that timing so I just claim that Jesus' promises will come to fruition for you soon amazing thanks so much Joe what a cracking story isn't it Abraham and Sarah so much in that You know, and hopefully this whole series has inspired some of us to go back to the Old Testament and uh, to read up on some of these characters. And there's some amazing, amazing stories, aren't there, in the Old Testament. Whoever says the Bible is boring has never read it because it is not boring. It's got all sorts of drama in there, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it sure does. Anyway, we're going to finish up now with our last speaker. You all know Christina. So why don't you give her a hand as she comes to the platform? Thanks, Simon. It's quite an applause there. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Um, Thank you, um, Michael, and I was going to call you Sarah, Joe. Um, (laughs) Thank you for that message. That's um, been very inspiring for me. And I feel like, Michael, you've really given me permission to be as real as possible up here. So thanks for leading. Um, Some of you may know me. Some of you may not know me. I'm Christina. I've been in this church for around eight months. I'm passionate about God and people, and you may think that's really cliche, but it's true. So today we've been asked to talk about um, a hero of faith. So I've actually chosen a heroine of faith. Um, And that's not just because I'm female, but it's just because there's so much in the book of Ruth, which is what I'm going to speak about today. Um, And there's so much we can learn from from the book of Ruth out of these heroes of faith. Um, The kind of main themes that when I was reading this book, which is only four chapters, by the way, so if you haven't read it, please do read it. It's a great book and it's only four chapters. So it's not like reading Lamentations or Numbers or or Chronicles or anything like that. It's a bit easier to get through um, and the take-homes are a bit easier to understand as well. Um, So um, the kind of themes that I felt when I was reading it that I felt was like, God, what do you really want me to talk about? uh, Were one, sort of that faith in God and us taking refuge in him and his provision for us but also um, Ruth's humility, so her character, and I really felt like God was just like, speak about Ruth's humility, um, because it's something that we can all learn from that. So for those of you who don't know, there is a great Bible synopsis, which summarizes, and I was gonna read that, but then I thought I should at least show that I've read it. Um, <laughs> you may know if I have or haven't by doing that. Um, but basically, in the book of Ruth, we've got um, Naomi and her husband who are living in the land of Judah where God is their provider. But they had a famine, so they left the land, they went somewhere else, um, and um, their two sons basically end up marrying two women in this foreign land called Moab. Sadly, the, uh, Naomi's husband dies, uh, and then um, later on, these um, two sons die as well. So we're left with Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. 
Um, the two daughters-in-law, um, Naomi said that she was going to go back to her land where God was providing. Um, but the, the two, and she said to the two daughters, you know, don't, don't come with me. I have nothing to offer anymore. I don't have any sons. You're not going to get married to anyone because I don't have anyone to offer. So you go back to your land, go back to your families where, it, you know, you're familiar and it's safe. And one of them did. And the other one, who is Ruth, um, actually said, um, no, I'm going to go with you. You know, my kind of loyalty is with you now. So she says in um, Ruth 1, verses 16 to 17, um, she says to Naomi, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And we may know, some of us have probably heard that verse. It's now, you know, one of the most famous Bible verses. Um, but, you know, firstly, this shows that she's putting her faith in God the God that we know, the real God, um, and she's leaving behind everything else. She's going to a land where she doesn't know what's going to happen for her. She has no idea what her future holds. She's just putting faith in a new God and, um, you know, in, in this new life. And then what happens is they get back to Moab and um, we start to really just see um, these events unfold for Ruth in her life and a, a real story, to be honest, of restoration um, because she'd lost everything at that point and we see that God really restores her life for her and redeems it. Um, but Ruth is incredibly humble. So we find that when she gets back there, she um, actually kind of offers to do this work which is called gleaning so um, basically the people sort of harvesting in the field would leave behind leftovers and grains and she takes a really humble attitude of I'm going to sort of do what's considered you know one of the inferior or lowest of jobs and just collect people's you know leftover foods that I can provide for my mother-in-law and for me um, and that's a really wise attitude, um, actually, and we see how God sort of redeems and rewards her through that humble approach. And um, so she says to Naomi in verse two, chapter 2, sorry, verse 2, she says, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. So she's not even um, expecting um, firstly, she's even asking permission to do this. She's, she's not assuming the right to even go and collect people's grain. She's even asking for permission to do it. Um, and she's not ashamed to go and do what's considered, you know, maybe what other people would see a very inferior job. She's a foreigner in that land. And she's just doing what she can with the bare minimum that she's got to basically survive. But um, we see that she starts to work really hard. She's working day and night and she's, you know, she takes little rest and she's, you know, no shame in doing this. And actually, um, what happens is there's um, a man called Boaz who um, is a, a wealthy man. He's a man of God um, and he owns this field. And um, this is kind of how I think our relationship with God can, can be when she's sort of humbly just working hard and she's even doing it when no one's looking. Um, but actually, Boaz notices her and notices this humility. He notices his loyalty to her mother-in-law um, and notices how hard she's working. Um, and, and he actually then starts to sort of provide for her and say, um, you know, I, I've seen what you've done for your mother-in-law. I pray that God will bless you. I, you can basically be here as long as you want. Just stay on this field. You'll be safe here. Um, don't go to another field. I've asked, you know, the men and the women not to harm you. You can drink what you want when you want. And I just think that that's a sort of beautiful um, idea of how we are with God when we kind of go into take refuge under him and we're humble and we're not, you know, too big to do a small task or we don't think that we deserve something necessarily or 
and we're not appreciative of even the small things. And actually, God can really just bless that, that humble attitude. And so when he does offer her all these things, she's even so humble that in verse 10 it says, At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Um, I think there's something to be said in that, that when, when you are humble and you don't think anyone owes you anything or God owes you anything even, or um, that you deserve certain levels of respect and kindness, that actually it makes us more glad when things do come our way. We are more appreciative. Um, and when, when we're not, or we're perhaps kind of proud or expect certain things because, you know, well, this has all happened to me, so I now expect these things. We cannot become glad in God and we can't necessarily appreciate and be pleased with what we have. And yeah, he, she just humbles herself completely and is, is you know, so honored that even he's noticed her and that he's offering this. Um, and then, so Boaz says to her, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Um, and yeah, I just think that's just such a beautiful way of him sort of expressing that may the Lord, you know, not even me, may God actually reward you for what you've done here. And um, I think this humility is, is a characteristic of Christ. You know, Jesus was the most humble person that we know. Um, he was the son of God, yet he, you know, he washed people's feet. He took to the cross. He was laughed. He was ridiculed, mocked. Um, even though he was the son of God and he could have easily just sort of struck down everybody and, you know, said, well, actually, you know, I am God, so here's some flames. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes you kind of think, why didn't you do that? But he, he didn't because he was humble and he, he was also doing the will of the Father. Um, and, yeah, I just, I think there's, there's a lot we can really take from that. And, and actually being humble gives God glory. It allows him to show his provision. It allows him to show that it's, him who's providing for us um and just to kind of give an example um so i was trying to think of some examples last night um and i found it quite hard <laughs> and i was a bit concerned by that and thought oh gosh i'm clearly not very humble or i'm really humble lord so much so that i don't even know you know the difference anymore i'm just a natural humble person um, but then I thought to myself, okay, how, what, what can I find relatable to this? And something that came to mind was um, at work. So I'm a client relationship manager in a mental health training company. And um, about two years ago, another girl joined the team and she was also at the same level as me. She was actually really good at the job. She'd sort of done business admin before, so she had that little boost that I didn't have. Um, and um, she was quite competitive and I started to notice that she was getting really competitive with me. And I'm not really very competitive by nature. I can't really be bothered with it. I sort of, if somebody really wants to compete that much, I'll just ugh, just have it, you can win, I don't mind. If it makes you that happy, it's not worth my sweat. So I can be a little bit like that, but um, I did start to feel myself getting a bit kind of worked up with how competitive she was. And I thought, well, actually, maybe she's gonna get a promotion before me, or, you know, you can kind of, someone else makes you start to feel competitive. Um, and then our boss at the time was offering for certain people to go and attend certain events. Um, which was kind of a bit of a privilege for the, you know, the team, these kind of very big fancy events. And um, she kind of quickly put her hand up and was like, well, I've done these things before. And I was like, oh, of course you have. No, <laughs> no, I wasn't, I wasn't really. A couple of prayers in the toilet that day. Um, and 
I, I, I found myself getting quite worked up about it and being like, well, I deserve this. I've been here longer than her. And then my boss actually chose for her to go. And I was quite disappointed and kind of felt like, well, I deserve that. I've been here longer. And then I really had to kind of go to God about it because it was starting to affect my daily work. And I felt like God was just like, Christina, just do what you've got in front of you. Like you've got a number of clients, a number of emails to get on with. Do that, do it well, and just keep doing that. Do what's in your hand and just do it the best that you can do as if you were serving me and just let me be the one to lift you up. And I was like, okay, fine, I can do that. Um, and so I did that for a while. And actually, as it turns out, I started to feel more enjoyment even in the job because I was just focused. I wasn't looking around, wondering what everyone else is doing. I'm just sort of humbling myself again and getting on with what the task I have and, and just kind of trusted God at his word for it. And then um, I was surprised a couple of weeks later, actually, my, my boss kind of um, in a meeting uh, said, you know, he kind of pointed me out and was like, by the way, we've got a really big client who's kind of come on board and um, they're really big advocates of us. And basically just kind of celebrating something that I had done, which I wasn't expecting. And he wasn't the kind to usually do that, to be honest. So it was a bit of a surprise. And I think just because I wasn't expecting that as well, I was even more grateful for that kind of reward and kind of grateful that I'd sort of just humbled myself and got on with my work. But Needless to say, that girl is actually a friend of mine, and she came back from holiday about two weeks later and said she was pregnant, and I was like, great, as in, so like, all competition removed, um, and she's, I was like, God, you have your ways, you know, if I just sit back and let you fight these battles, you've, you've got your own answers, right? Um, so, yeah, anyway, we are, we are good friends, I promise, We're good friends. Um, so yeah, why, why am I picking up on this? Well, um, you know, by being humble in our work or in our daily lives or just in the little things, you know, not thinking that anyone owes us anything or deserves or um, we deserve the front seat of every situation or we've been here this long. You know, taking that humble attitude really allows God to sort of reward us and promote us. And actually, our humility is a reflection of Christ and other people who are not Christians will see that and say, well, why is that person so comfortable not having this promotion? Why are they handling it like that? And I'm so stressed and competitive. And I think that actually did bother her even more because um, <laughs> I was so at peace in the end about it. Um, but yeah, I think just, you know, when we humble ourselves, we're reflecting Christ's character and, um, you know, in a world that's constantly seeking validation, we constantly, you know, think, you know, I can, I'm, I can make my own man-made success or I can, you know, sort my life out and, and, I, and people can look at me and see, wow, she's done all this stuff and, and how, you know, amazing she's done. But actually, that seeking that self-promotion is, is not really a characteristic of Jesus and we want to be more like Jesus and not out of force, but out of understanding that humility before God is, is a godly character um, and actually glorifies him so much more. Um, so yeah, she's just a great example of that. And you know, her story is a story of restoration, a bit like when we humble ourselves before Jesus and we accept what he did for us, um, Jesus restores us and he redeems us. And this is what happens in Ruth's life. Uh, God completely restores her life and she actually ends up marrying Boaz. She ends up, <laughs> she ends up with a Boaz and then she gives birth to Obed, who's in the bloodline. And then, you know, she's in the, the bloodline and the genealogy of Jesus in the end. So you know, I'm sure as a foreigner from a different land who didn't even believe in God, we would never have, at the start of that book, been like, oh yeah, she'll be, 
you know, giving birth to somebody who then leads to Jesus. So it's just amazing what, what God can do. Um, and yeah, I just, um, I, I guess I wanted to just finish off because the, the theme of humility is something we see throughout the Bible. In James 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And in Luke 14, 11, it says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I just love that, you know, God's world is so the opposite of what our world teaches. So, um, yeah, if we just want to pray. Um, Father God, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for everything that you've done for us so far, God. We just take a moment to stop and appreciate all that you've done for us. We stop and appreciate Jesus and who he was, Lord. And Jesus says, you know, no servant is greater than his master. So let us just be humble in our day to day, God, whatever that looks like, let us just remember to practice humility um, in the same way as your son Jesus did. And um, yeah, I pray that we just receive from all of the words we've heard today from Joe and Michael, and that just we walk away here taking something away and learning more about who you are and um, you know your plans for our life and, and your love for us, Lord Jesus. We thank you. Amen.